The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. You're listening to Rick Morris. And, uh, you know, we're coming off a very, very busy week, and we've done a lot uh, uh, this past week. I was actually in uh, Manassas, Virginia, kicking off a new client uh, out there. They're going to be a fantastic client to work with. And then uh, spent an entire day yesterday uh, with uh, the sales team out at uh, our number one sponsor, our platinum sponsor, CA. Uh, so I wanted to shout out uh, the sales team that uh, I worked with out there uh uh, Brent Shore's team. Uh, we had a fantastic time, you know, with all of them. Uh, we just, you know, had a chance to really spend some time, have some fellowship, um, really get to know each other, um, and uh, you know, th- that always just gets me kind of reflecting that kind of stuff. And I, so I thought what I would do this week was really just kind of get back to my roots, since really kind of the past, uh, uh, you know, few weeks I've really done some leadership. I've done some Maxwell. We've talked about some Seth Godin. Um, I've, I've kind of ranted and raved around some money rants. Uh, I've done some things uh, around small business. So I thought I'd get back to some roots of project management this week. Uh, but before I did that, um, I did want to, uh, you know, shout out, uh, you know, Patricia and Andrew um, and, and Cassie and, and Matt Norman, um, and Catherine and, and Mark Ratner and Chris Thomason, Jim Vogel, and just thank them for, for the hospitality that we had uh, uh, yesterday and, and yesterday evening. Uh, and of course, Brent, uh, and just thank all of them uh, for, for their hospitality and, and for all of us to, you know, getting to, to have some time, some fellowship and, and uh, really kind of building that bridge. So uh, thank you guys uh, for, for a fantastic time in New York yesterday. Uh, upcoming events for us uh, Sunday going to be uh, at the Benoit uh, Renaissance in Tampa. I'm going to get a chance to uh, to meet uh, Frank Abagnale and we're going to be at the spring uh, ITA conference in uh, Tampa, Florida, and then I'll be doing my stuff Monday, uh, doing uh, the greatest secrets ever ever told, uh, the greatest secrets revealed of project management uh, for that group out there. I'm really excited about that. It's a new group uh, for us. And so we'll be spending the day Monday in Tampa, and then Tuesday I head to Los Angeles, and we'll be taping the Moving America Forward show hosted by William Shatner. Get to meet with uh, Doug Llewellyn. We'll be doing a show uh, around R squared and, and really kind of what we do for organizations. Uh, I think that that is due to air towards around the end of May. So there'll be more around that show uh, coming up. Of course, uh, we've still got the May event uh, coming up um, in Spokane, Washington. Uh, we've got a June event coming up in El Paso, Texas. You can find all those events on rickamorris.com or rsquareconsulting.com. Of course, you can go over to the voiceamerica.com page uh, and find us there. As well as if you if you heard about the money rant or if you heard about um, 
you know, the rant that we did last week around, you know, Sisyphus and all the other things. You can find uh, all those past episodes on voiceamerica.com. You can find the work-life balance show there, or you can go to rickamorris.com and browse the past episodes. So again, this week, wanted to get back to our roots and just really get back to the core of project management because I got lit on fire yesterday as we were talking uh, with the team at CA, really just uh, as far as how far we've come. And, you know, project management's really been evolving uh, with the push and the add-on of of Agile. And, um, you know, project management's still pretty much a young profession, too. As far as really being recognized as a profession, uh, it's really still around 1969 when when a lot of this started to get its start. Um, And uh, a, a few gentlemen decided to form PMI, Project Management Institute. And so, you know, a, a few things that have come out, you know, as I, I was working with my, my client uh, early on this week, as well as working with the sales teams uh, yesterday, one of the things that I fight for often is the recognition of our profession. And I, I, I think that one of the downfalls of our profession is that you know, they, they often give our title away or think that anybody can do it. And so one of the clients that, that I'm working with right now, I'm, I'm not going to reveal names or that kind of stuff, but they work with a lot of scientists. They work with a lot of, of people that, um, that you know, have, have gotten a lot of education and, and, and work in, in the medical field. And, and, you know, I value that education. I value that that these these people have have worked very hard to attain the the title that they have and 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 have worked very hard to be educated the the, the way that they have and it, it's interesting because they look down a little bit on us and in our profession and in in what we do for a living and what what they don't recognize is you know while they went to college to study certain things and while they've worked very hard to climb to the top of the ladder in their profession, so have I. I my quest for knowledge, my thirst for knowledge to be a project manager has been a, a never-ending quest. I'm never done. And, and for the last 20 years, not only have I continued to perfect the craft of project management, I've continued to learn through the same methods that these very same scientists have learned. Scientists learn through theory and and through validation of theory and and through trial and error and through failure and proof and validation of theory. And that's exactly what project management does. And and not only that, but through failure, you learn. And through failure, you continue to do so. And and what was interesting is, as I was coaching somebody uh, earlier in the week, I said, you know, what's funny is, you know, these scientists will say, well, we'll just manage the project. And in in I, I looked at this this young lady I was working with, and I said, "Well, tell them that that's not right because, you know, she was educated as well in 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 biology and that kind of stuff." And I said, "That's the same as you saying, well, I'll just go run those clinical trials." And 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 I'm sure the the biologist would look at her and say, "Well, that's absurd," and say, "Why?" I well, I took biology in, in college, I could run those trials. And I'm sure their their retort would be, well, no, I'm the 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 chief biologist, and you know I have education, as a, right? And I have education as a project manager. So what makes you think you can take my title? See, it's the same thing. It's a, 
It's no different than, you know, the CFO who, who, who needs extra accountants. They go get extra accountants. They, they don't run around and grab somebody who, who knows math. They go get somebody who's educated in that profession. But for some reason in project management, when, when we just have too many projects, we just think that somebody who has the title manager or somebody who, who, who manages people, well, well, they can manage projects as well. And when we give so little respect to the profession and we get so little respect to the, the, the craft of what we do, then, well, guess what? You, you get the same results to the level of respect that you give it. Yet it really is a craft and it really is a profession that warrants certain respect. And, and the people who get that and the people that really – harness that. And and I'm not saying that you have to have 75. It it was kind of like for those of the people that really know Six Sigma, it's, you don't have to have a hundred amazing master black belts running around in Six Sigma. You need just a few people who really get it and they can make an organization hum. You know, I was being interviewed for, for the, the television show and describing what I do and, and the guy that, that's going to be my producer was fantastic. And he, but he asked me, he was like, do, do you need certain domain knowledge? You know, because he was looking at my resume in all the different industries that I've worked in. It's been retail and manufacturing and we've done clinical trials and we've, you know, I've been in healthcare and it's just a wide variety. And he asked me how I was able to overcome the objection of maybe a, a new client or a new industry and in they, if they were to look at my resume and they say, well, you've never done it in this industry before, how, you know, how are you going to be able to help us? And, and I have this same answer on the ready all the time. It's, it's, well, how many people do you have at this company? Right. So, so I remember, you know, very clearly having the conversation at Warner Brothers. It was the first time that, that I was doing project management for the entertainment industry. And they were like, well, you know, our business is very different. And, and sure, each business type is different. There's ins and outs of the business. And, and yes, I need to know some of those aspects, but not on day one. And, and the point being is how many people are employed here? And they said, well, we've got about 12,000 employees. I said, well, that's fantastic. So you've got 12,000 experts in your industry, but I'm an expert in, in getting the best out of them. That, that, that's what I do. I'm an expert in getting the best from them. And so... By the time I'm done, I'll know your industry very, very well because my job is to get the very best out of your people. And and the one thing that's true about every industry is that you really need people and you really need them to be at their best. And the best project managers know how to get the best out of people and they know how to mine knowledge and process and understanding out of people. And they, they know how to get people to work together for a common goal and a common purpose. And they know how to get them onto the same page. And that doesn't really require industry knowledge. It requires people knowledge. So it doesn't matter if it's manufacturing. It doesn't matter if, if, if it's that. As a matter of fact, the very nature of a project generally is the fact that it's never, ever been done before. It's never, ever been accomplished before. And so one of my favorite elevator speeches to teach a project manager is that we make dreams come true. 
you, you don't have a product in your hand, a car that you drive, a computer that you're looking at, a desk that you're sitting at, a house that you live in, a place that you go, a plane that you fly, that doesn't have a project manager's hands in it. It's, it's a phenomenal profession. But the problem is, is that we continue to lack the confidence or the will or the understanding of really enabling that profession to get us where we really want to go. And again, right, number one issue in, in almost every company is we got too many projects, not enough people to run them. So instead of doing it smarter, what we do is then we enable the wrong people to run the too many projects and then we blow everything out of the water. And then we turn around and we say, well, you know, we're just really not good at project management. No, no, no. No, I think the issue is, is that you don't value project management. And, it, it, and if we valued that, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to get the right people involved. The second thing that we're going to do is we're going to stave the number of projects that we're doing. And then, and then we're going to start to see the value compound, right? And, and this isn't a new recipe. It's just been the right recipe. It's no different than weight loss, gang. There's, it's, there's, you don't need all these new crazes. We don't need all these new, you know, super fad diets and all these thousands and thousands of pill bottles. You just simply need to eat right, right? You simply just need to do the right things. And, but, but we don't like to hear that. So what, what we'd rather is to have somebody get on the, the television and say, you know what? It's super easy. Just take this pill, go to bed, wake up. You're going to drop 10 pounds, but no, 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 no. See, it's, it's, it's just a simple formula. Eat better, be healthier, you lose weight, change your habits. But that's hard. See, that's uphill. We'd rather, we, we'd rather an easier solution. And see, the same goes for project management. We've got to change habits and we get better results. So when we come back, we're going to talk about why do teams fail? Why do projects fail? And what are some of those glaring signs? And I'll share some of my favorite stories of some of those project failures. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand. They are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com. 
your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back. So we're talking today about uh, project failure, just really about project management uh, in, in general. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is if you... If you were to Google, you know, why do projects fail or, or top 10 signs of project failure or, you know, the, the top reasons why projects fail, you're going to get very similar lists across the board. I, I put a, a speech together 10 years ago uh, called Turning Around Failing Projects. And I've got stories that go back 20 years through my career. And the reasons that, that I wrote down, you know, 10 years ago are the same reasons that will appear in these lists. They're the same things that are going to pop up time and time and time again. And so I'm I'm really not going to go over the same things that that you know I talked about ten years ago, or the things that appear on these lists, or or things like that. But I, I will share some some of my favorite stories. But w- why I even bring that up is that. Again, just kind of like what I shared in the previous segment around weight loss is that if we don't like the story, what, what people tend to do is change the narrative and instead of just addressing the, the direct issue. And that direct issue tends to be uncomfortable, so we change the narrative and, and we come up with something new. And, and, and this is the way that you know I really thought about Agile when, when Agile first came out. It was, it was well, you know – we have all these failures, so let's let's go to the shiny new object, which which is a, a whole new methodology. Well, it's not the methodology that's failing; it's the it's the people that are failing. And so, one of those key reasons that you can look at, or if you see something happening and you know that project's going down, is is if you see a production date that's moving often, right? And so, so we we set a date. You know, it's June fifteenth, and and now we had to move it. And, and so now we've had to move it more than once. Well, that is a key sign that that project is failing. And people are, you know, saying, well, no duh, Rick. Well, so instead of addressing the issue, we change the methodology, right? So the issue is that that, that pr- production date is moving. So what we do is we say, oh, we're agile now, so we don't have to commit to a date. And and so so what we, we do is is – we're going to change it to where it's so free-flowing that we don't really have anything to truly commit to so that we say that we don't fail. Is that addressing the issue 
Or is that changing the methodology and changing the narrative? Right? And, and really what the issue was is that we were selecting a date and holding everybody to a date and everybody's feet to the fire without knowing what we really wanted. And by flipping the, the narrative and changing the methodology, what we're saying is we still don't know what we want and we're just going to continue to develop. But, but guess what? Now our spend is out of control. So, so it's still the same issue. It's just everybody feels better about it. Because now, now that your project cost is out of control, some, somebody's still going to eventually have to pay the piper. And so, you know, one of my favorite stories that I had learned about this, and it, it, it generated one of my life rules, is that I will never move a family vacation because of a production date. And it was an early story in my career. It, we, we had this big web application we were doing for a huge company, huge company. And, and I remember that when we, we did the original plan, the, the go live date was, landed right you know, smack dab where my family and I were supposed to go out of the country. And the client just went nuts. They were like, well, that, that's when we're supposed to go live. And I was like, yeah, I see it. And I was very, very young at the time. And they were like, well, you know, you're going to have to we're going to have to see if you can't move that vacation. So I remember coming home and talking to my wife and explaining the situation. So we, we moved our vacation and we paid all the fees and fines and we moved it back like a month and a half. Well, of course, what happened is that project date slid because there was all these new requirements and all these things that came up and the customer changed their mind and so on and so forth. And it slid right into, guess what? Into the new date that we had just selected for our new family vacation. So I had to come home and tell my wife, and we moved our vacation again, and that doggone production date slid right into that. And I remember looking at my wife going, if we would have just kept the original date of our vacation, we would have been fine. It would have been no problem. And I, and I swore to my wife at that point, I said, you know what? Never again. Never again will I do it. And that that's become a rule. It, it just happens. Like, now when, when that happens in a go live, like, you know, somebody schedules that, I just look at a customer and I'll go, well, let's see what happens. You know, because these things have been known, you know, to, to slide. And then when it gets closer, we, we deal with it. But I've never since that time moved a vacation because of a production date. Because nine times out of ten, something happens and that production date slides. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But that's a key sign of, of project failure. And again, of where people start to change the narrative. So in, in we've developed a theory around the myth of the mandated date in the first place, which is when was that date selected and who selected it? And, and was there any planning involved in picking that date in the first place? Because again, early in my career, those dates were given to me without planning and without understanding. And then Everything around the project was surrounded around the date, not around what we were doing, what we were delivering, what, what the value was, but it was all based on whether or not we were going to hit that date. So stupid. Sometimes I look at what I do for a living and I go, man, this is so stupid, so dumb. Now, one of the other big signs is that what we're trying to develop We've just simply, you know, picked the wrong technology, right? The, the team has developed a, a, a generic system, but, 
but the the configuration right is so complex or the technology is so complex it, it, it's it's not maintainable and so the, the story around this one this is where you see a phenomenal idea like the, the idea itself business-wise makes sense and then you turn it over and and your IT department constrains it so bad that you see your costs just start to skyrocket. And this is where you look at something. And, and so I, I watched a, a company um, start looking at what's called CRM or customer relationship management. And if you look at it now, look at a company like Salesforce, right? How big of a company is Salesforce? It's huge, right? So it's it's obviously an incredible idea. Well, I'm talking about years before Salesforce was even around, I watched a company have this idea and say, it wouldn't it be great if our salespeople had all the information at their finger, fingertips and be able to do customer relationship management and so on and so forth. But then they chose a technology that was just simply wrong. In fact, what they, they chose was, was a system at the time was called Lotus Notes, which for those of you that are in technology knows that it's not relational. It's not a relational database. So what they ended up having to do was copy everything because it wasn't relational. And so it basically was was choosing, you know, to break through brick walls every time you wanted to move data instead of data free flowing like on the Internet. I mean, essentially, that's what it did. And so instead of something costing, you know, around three to five hundred thousand dollars to develop, it was costing a million or two million dollars. And when it was finally developed it crashed the entire network because it was moving way too much data. And at that point, you should take a look at it and, and, and just say, you know what? It's the wrong technology. But then companies look at this and instead of saying, well, we just have a sunk cost, they said, no, no, no. We've invested two years and $2 million. We, we got to make this work. So what they start to do is invest another million dollars to start to put in all kinds of, of ways to try to cut down how much data is being sent, which is thereby reducing the value of the system because the whole point of the system is to share as much data as possible. But because now we've chosen the wrong technology, we're trying to cut down how much data we're sending. So we spent another million dollars and now we're going to send half the data. So we're $3 million in, and of course, it still crashes the network. So they spend another million dollars, and now they're sending a quarter of the data, and it still crashes the network. So then the, the executives then decide, well, CRM's just a bad idea. No. See, CRM was always a fantastic idea. You just chose the wrong technology. You just had a poor implementation plan. And what you did is you didn't involve the right people in making the decision. You said, well, what we have are people that know this technology. And we're not going to invest in learning a new technology because it's the right decision. We're just going to use what we have. And so that's where you have this generic system, but the configuration is so complex, it's not going to be maintainable once it's in production. It's a horrible decision. It's a horrible decision, and one person making that horrible decision not only lost four and a half, five million dollars in three years of development time, but think about all the other projects that could be completed, as well as that project failed. Those are the types of things that we see. That proper project selection, that proper decision making, that the the top of the house 
needs to be concerned with. Because think about all the people that worked on that project that now are being told, well, that's just a, that was just a bad project. That it's just you guys just didn't execute. No, no, they all put their heart, blood, sweat, and tears into that thing. Tons of people worked on that. Tons of people were throwing tons of great ideas out. It was really just one or two people that made a really, really poor decision. And I can't tell you the the millions of projects that share the similar story. Yet, who really gets the blame for that kind of stuff is project management. And that's the kind of stuff that really gets me going. We're going to take another break. Listen to some of our sponsors. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. 
And we're back to the work-life balance. We've been talking about project failures and just, you know, things like that. And we've been talking about it on a small scale, right? A project here, a project there. But what about when when projects just go horribly wrong? And and, and it, they, they seem to stack up on each other. And, and this is when you see things lead to massive failures. And there there's a, a psychology that comes with that. And it's something that, that I've used before around group think. And... and you know, to to use my mentor uh, John Maxwell, when when you say culture eats vision for lunch, uh, and you see this at a corporate scale, uh, it, it's amazing when when you're an outsider looking in, it's easy to say, well, how did that happen? But when you're inside the culture, it's it's very difficult to explain. So let me give you an example. One of the biggest things that, that I'm amazed at when I'm doing my seminars and, and we have, you know, 200, 300 project managers in the room is to ask about the status report. And so if you're not a project manager, let me explain the phenomena of a status report. First of all, the status reports are just mind boggling in, in and of themselves in the sense that you have to schedule a meeting every week to get a people around the table to simply lie to your face about what they did and didn't do last week so that you can prepare a report that nobody reads. And for the most part, most people are forced to generally lie. And, and, and I know I'm making some broad assumptions there, but let me explain further. So first of all, you've got tasks or issues or risks or things like that, that, that you're supposed to report on. And so you go around the room and you say, Johnny, did you, did you do this task? And they look right at you and they go, Oh yeah, I started it knowing full well, they haven't. And so you report on that and you say, you know, what percent complete are you? And they look right at you and go, Oh yeah, I'm 80% complete again, knowing they haven't started, but hoping that they can be further along next week when you ask them the very same boring question. And so you update your project schedule and so now you are liable for that information. And so you fill out this report and then comes the big status, right? So what percent complete are you? Is the scope on schedule? How are we doing with issues and risks? And there's these red, yellow, greens. Well, you know, I've seen organizations that say once things go red, they can never come off red. You know, we're now allowed to put things red because then that gets the attention of senior management. And we don't like that. Um, uh, you're, you can't put red unless so-and-so says it's red and all these really, really crazy rules around things that are red, yellow, green. Now, when I'm doing my seminar, I say, look, the, the sooner you can put information out that is saying that this project is going off the rails, the better. And, and that becomes a very uncomfortable conversation for a lot of project managers. They, and, and I hear it all the time. Oh, you don't work for my company. You don't, you don't understand what it's like to be at my company. And, and I get into the ethics of the conversation going, look, that's your name on the report. If you say it's green and it's not green, then you're lying. And, and again, it becomes a very uh, uncomfortable conversation. But then you start to see stories, right, of things like Target Canada. And, and if, if you, you know, I love reading, you know, stories uh, of, you know, these corporate failures of Enron, that kind of stuff. And it, it just in, in the news uh, today, uh, Volkswagen got hit with like a, a $2.8 billion settlement, right? And, and somebody, somebody lower in the chain, there may be one big dog that's going to fall for that, but there's going to be a lot of middle management that's going to go. 
and, and a lot of those middle managers aren't aren't going to deserve to go. They were just towing the company line. They they were doing what was told or doing what the culture said. But but th- there's going to be a lot of people that lose their jobs over that settlement that that were afraid to speak up because they needed that job. And so when you uh, so so when that story comes out, I'm going to be fascinated to read it. But but when you look at things. Um, like the financial crisis, and when, when you look at things like uh, uh, like a, a, an Enron, or you look at things um, like uh, Goldman Sachs, and you know there was a lot of people that knew what was happening, but very few that spoke out. And some of the ones that spoke out early got just crushed, just crushed. And and there's several people that didn't cash in. And were fired for speaking up because they saw what was going on. And, and what happens is culture eats vision for lunch. The the vision was, hey, this is wrong. And then they got stamped out and fired and no severance and no bonus. So what does that tell the next person who wants to speak up that something's going wrong? They're like, nope, I'm not going to do a thing. I'm not going to say anything. No way. Uh-uh. And so when you so, – so if you look at Target Canada, Target Canada – you know, promises this huge expansion in, in Canada. And so the first red flag is, is you know, the, the real estate deals take forever. But do they slide the date? Oh, no, 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 no. See, executives, we made promises and we picked dates. And, and we're going to hold to those dates because that's who we are. We're the executives. Our people, yeah, our people can do it. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Is our software working? Ah, who cares? It's it's all green. It's good. Yeah, we're good. Don't worry about it. And uh, can we roll out and support it? Ah, oh, I'm sure we can. Yeah, I mean, look at us, man. We're awesome. And that optimism and lack of anybody going, I don't know, can we? Well, I don't think, I don't know. Well, And, and so what it does is the people underneath them go, well, uh, I guess we have to. And... If somebody were to stand up and go, hey, that's not really possible, then guess what? You're you're the, the black sheep or, or you know what? Even better, you lack a can-do attitude. So you're out. We need, we need can-do people around here. And so you don't speak up. And, and, and basically everybody underneath the executives, they're looking around going – uh, this ship is sinking. Uh, anybody got some life jackets? And and they're talking behind their back, going, "Woohoo! Uh, this uh, this is gonna suck." Uh, but don't tell them because uh, they think we're all fine. And so you're killing yourself, working nights and weekends and every possible thing you can. And and to the very heart of the title of this show, zero work life balance. And essentially, nobody wants to be the person to go to that executive board or to any of the executives and say, um, we got a problem. Um, I, I, I don't think we're going to either make timelines or I don't think that, that the, the, the software is going to work or whatever. And so what ends up happening is problem after problem begins to stack up and then you start missing targets and then dates 
start to become reality. And when reality starts to hit, by the time you actually miss the date, it's too late. It's too late. You can't now undo it. And so when I'm doing the seminars, I tell people, when would you, if you bring the issue up and you've got six months to fix it, you've got tons of options. When you wait for it to be found out, the only option is to slip. The only option is painful. So like if, if, if I'm trying to compress a date, if I'm trying to look at options, even though it's painful to be the person in the room to sit down and have the conversation with the executive and go, look, I, and so I teach techniques. I teach techniques of I'm not saying no and I'm not saying it's impossible, but here's what I need. I'm, I, I need 22 more people. I need you know X amount of dollars or, or this could be the outcome. But at least we have options to fix it. Here's the possibilities if we do it. But if I can do that sooner and then they're the ones telling me no, then at least it's, you know, I've got some plausible deniability here. But if I say nothing and then we wait until there's two weeks left, there are no options other than throw our hands up and cry. And so what ends up happening is when you wait till there's two weeks left or whatever, you start to make this intense push to get this huge project over a finish line. And then it's, it's a thousand people running in, in 2000 directions and it's impossible to pull it off. And so what you have then is target pulling out of Canada Missing it so badly that you can't recover. And, and you think that when you really go in and take a look at what happened, you think it's a huge issue and it really came down to people just not communicating and really, really poor decision making. What they blame it on, I bet, when it really comes out, it's going to be poor project management. What it really was, was a horrible culture that didn't allow the value of project management to come out. And every time we get into this, every time you really start to uncover it, I guarantee you there was a tremendous amount of group think that said, you know, don't bring me problems, just bring me solutions, right? Don't. Don't tell me no. Tell me what I need to hear. And, and when, you, when you start to say things like that, you're just going to get the yes answers you want, and then you're going to be out of time. So, I mean, is it really important? You know, one of the biggest things that, that PMI professes is lessons learned, and people think you need to do that, um, you know, a- after every project. I think some of the greatest lessons learned is looking over the wall and seeing some of these stories and say, you know, how are we going to prevent something like that happening at our company? This, these are some of the most incredible stories you can learn from. So take heed to make sure that your vision is matching the culture that you want, or this absolutely will happen where you work. You're listening to The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Mm-hmm. 
Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world, where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end -end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development, to management to security, end-to-end -end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call in to the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back for the final segment of the Work-Life Balance this Friday. And i um, like to thank the sponsors of the show, which uh, we, we certainly appreciate uh, what they do for us uh, and keeping us on the air. I'd like to uh, send a shout-out uh, again to Winston Price, my executive producer. We just uh, signed on to do this for yet another year. So we're looking forward to uh, being on the air for another year uh, and continuing to uh, talk about the Work-Life Balance uh, and all that that can do for all of us. So uh, we were talking about uh, uh, project management and the failure of project management. And so um, I'd like to offer just in the last segment, you know, what do we do? And um, the greatest thing that we can do in helping that, um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, what's the first thing you do? Um, we've got to have some sort of visibility and accountability in the projects. There's got to be something. And, and so... Um, I'm even coming um, off. So, you know, three years ago, I would have said, you know, we've got to time track everything. Um, and so I'm coming off of that now uh, because there's so many new theories, uh, certainly around agile and, and uh, story point tracking. Uh, there's new methods to where we can get to some accountability, but accountability is still there. We've got to have something that that shows visibility. And as long as we're tracking in the way that 
we can do it naturally with the way everybody works. So uh, I'm still a fan of timesheets because, again, I think the greatest employees um, have no problem spending five minutes at the end of the week just saying, here's what we worked on. Um, and that's all it really needs to take. We don't need to you know, time track to the nth degree. We don't have to sit there and create some elaborate thing that, that takes 20 minutes a day to, to fill out. And there's ways of naturally capturing time through the way that we work every day. I mean, we, we do so many things digitally as it is in working on documents and filling out things and, and doing you know, work that there's ways to capture it naturally. And we, we do a tremendous amount of that, that uh, analysis and work with our clients to, to figure that out. But the point of the, the, you know, at the end of the day though, is, is that we do need to be accountable for what we do for the organization. That That's it. I mean, you know, lawyers are accountable for their time. I'm a consultant. I'm, you know, paid for my time. And so I have to be accountable for the time that I spend to my clients. Uh, and there's, there's a large majority of us. And, and we need to be aware of the time we spend and, and that we're productive. And we also need to be making sure that there's some sort of accountability to the executive team that, one, we're aware of the projects that we're asking our people to do, and two, that we're aware that uh, of the status of those projects and what's happening. You know, um, yeah, brought up the VW story. There, you know, there's a huge settlement. It's a $2.8 billion criminal penalty um, and a, a $4.3 billion settlement um, that was reached in, in January. But, the, the, you know, an additional $2.8 billion criminal penalty. And, and the statement that came out with it um, is, you know, saying, quote, this is a case of deliberate massive fraud perpetrated by VW management says the case also involves a failure of the VW supervisory board, which is government, labor, and shareholders. And so, you know, w- when you have that level of, of you know, something going on, there's got to be accountability. And, and in this case, you know, it comes in a fine. But, you know, what is VW going to do from a culture perspective around, you know, what they were trying to do in in terms of trying to not implement something that they needed to implement in terms of cost versus the revenue they were trying to generate. It was an absolute management decision. Somebody in a chain made that call, but there was a lot of people there that knew that was going on. There was a lot of people. You just you don't perpetrate something that large. Uh, without a lot of people knowing. And so that becomes a culture-defining type of decision, and that can't be the only thing. That simply can't be the only thing. It's just what they got caught on. And so there's got to be visibility and accountability top to bottom in all organizations about the type of work that we're doing and what we're doing, and there's got to be some sort of system or something like that that tracks it. It's, It's as simple as that. That's what we do. The other thing is, is if we're going to implement processes, I, I always caution, you know, executives and, and anybody who's who's trying to implement any kind of organizational change or process is where you're going to find the time. So, you know, it's always easy to say, oh, we've got a problem. Let's put in a process to fix it. But I always caution that we've got to find the time to save somewhere else before we can spend the time on the new process. You can't just lump process on top of process on top of process. 
That's what creates inefficiency. What we have to do is find the time savings in a simple process and then use those time savings to implement a new process, which will generate time savings so that we can implement a new process. We've got to be aware of what we're asking people to do. So I give a quick example. When I was running a, a ad move change break fix team of, of, of PC technicians, we were noticing that we were having quality issues and we had to go back. We had to go back and fix a lot of things. So we analyzed you know, what were the problems and how many times we were going back. And so we wanted to implement a quality system to ensure that we didn't have to go back. And so what we did is we implemented a, a couple of checks for them to do. It added two minutes per workstation that they were at. But what it saved was an average of each technician having to go back to a desk four times, or, or I'm sorry, it was eight times a week. Well, that eight times a week that they were going back was taking anywhere from 45 minutes to 60 minutes per time. So I was losing a whole day of a technician to quality issues. The two minutes per workstation only added a total of 40 minutes of time throughout the week. So in essence, I was saving almost a full day of process time by implementing this quality system, if you do the math. So it's simple, right? Implement a process to save time, and now I have more time to play with in implementing a new quality issue. So that's the kind of stuff you have to look at when we're trying to implement procedures. You can't just turn around and say, well, I'm going to lump a new process on without understanding what that back-end impact is going to be. So that's all the time we have for this show. Again, I'll be in Tampa, Florida, Sunday and Monday. So hopefully some of my listeners will be out there. We look forward to seeing you guys. And then we will be out uh, in Los Angeles Wednesday uh, and Thursday, uh, taping the television show, and then look forward to uh, catching up with all of you. I think uh, I am going to be in the air uh, on Friday, so we'll be doing a replay uh, next week. And then we'll be back live with you the week after that, right here again on this very same time slot for the Work-Life Balance. Hit me up on Twitter, at Rick A. Morris. We'll be posting pictures uh, from the studio and from the conference. Uh, And you can always find me on Facebook or right at voiceamerica.com. We'll talk to you again in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again soon. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.